Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Revenue Marketing Report, and I'm thrilled to introduce Tim Parkin. Tim, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Kamala, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm an advisor and consultant. I work with marketing executives globally. And I help them with their marketing teams to optimize their performance and accelerate growth. Well, I am so excited about today's topic because it is near and dear to my heart, and I argue with people about it on LinkedIn all the time. <laughs> Good old social media, right? It. So what I've been noticing in the market, and I want to hear whether or not this resonates with you, we've been seeing two extremes. So for a while, I think everybody jumped on the data bandwagon and they wanted to measure everything. And now we're seeing kind of a resistance of sorts where going by gut is good enough. Do you see this war between art and science? Absolutely. I love this idea of the war between art and science because I think as marketers, we crave the science aspect and some of us also crave the art aspect. You know, we want both. We want to have it both ways. And I think in today's environment, which is changing, you know, we can't. And it's not that we have to necessarily choose one or the other, but we have to decide how do we coexist and how do these work together you know, peacefully? So let's talk about the extremes. Um, let's start with art. I am highly creative. I try a lot of different things. I know the market's always changing and I'm trying to change with it. And I go with what feels best. Why, why does that not always work for people? What have you seen? There's a couple of reasons it doesn't always work for people. You know, and the first is this is the, I'd say, startup mentality or, um, for lack of a better word, you know, the ego mentality that I know what's best. I know my customers. I know the market. Maybe I think I am the customer. And so therefore I'm going to self-express. This is a form of self-expression that I do what I think is best and know is best. And it's either going to work or not. And the reality is that there are things, there are uh, data points or elements that we need to consider and incorporate into that. You know, Baymard, for example, is an organization that does usability research on e-commerce sites. There's a lot to do with how your site is structured, how it looks, how people interact with it. So just to go with your gut and say that, you know, it's all art and I do what I want. Well, people are people and there's a lot of a custom, they're accustomed to the standards that have been put in place with how we interact, how we perceive things, the other messages in the market. So as much as we want to just be self-expressing all the time and just do what we think is best, there are acceptable ways or different responses that people have that are hardwired and encoded in them because of the culture, the society, the market, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that other extreme, wanting to use data to do everything and, and maybe not being comfortable moving forward without that data. Have you seen that have negative re repercussions as well? Oh, absolutely. And this is one that I've fallen for myself. You know, I come from a programming background, a software development world, uh, not so much the marketing side. And so I wasn't always the most creative person. I think very much process and data and things of that nature. And so it's really easy to fall into this trap because as marketers, the promise of digital was that we can measure everything, that we can track things, that it's you know black and white. And that was never really true as much as we believed it. And in today's world, it's certainly not true. And so we constantly are searching for this silver bullet, you know, this holy grail that we can measure everything and connect all the dots and somehow have the perfect picture. And that only until we get that perfect picture should we make any decisions or do any real marketing. You know, and so we spend so much time and money and effort trying to measure every single thing and put all the pieces together when really it's untenable. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen... I've seen both extremes for sure. I think the art side in the past for me has been a little bit more common than the hyper science. What I've noticed is 
intellectually people will get behind the science aspect and want to participate in that. But I, I've got to blame the vendors out there a little bit for overselling their product and what's possible. As we know, digital does not equate to trackable 100% of the time. There will always be things we can't track. And when we don't understand the nature of our data and we oversell it to the rest of the executive team, that can put some egg on your face because you're going to have to walk back some of those statements. Yeah, I think you're spot on there with saying digital doesn't necessarily equate to trackable. I think that's brilliant. And I think you're right that vendors are marketers themselves and they're selling us this promise, this holy land that we can't attain and we can't reach. But I think you hit on a really interesting point as well, which is let's pretend for a moment that we could get all the data, that we could put all the pieces together and could track everything, which we know is not possible. But even if you could do that, there's another step there that many marketers are not equipped for, and that's the analysis. What do you do once you see the full picture? How do you react to that? How do you respond to that? What does that mean for you? And that's a skill that many organizations are severely lacking. And most of my clients are billion dollar plus, huge marketing teams, and even they don't have these skills to fully analyze and understand the data that's set before them. So even if we could get all the data, making sense of it is a whole other world and a whole other challenge that many of us are not prepared for. It hurts my heart a little bit. It really does. Uh, <laughs> there's a saying out there, every data model is wrong, but some are useful. And people need to realize that even if we're, we've got gaps in data, there's stuff that's missing, there's still useful correlations we can make. And there's still things that we can do to gauge whether or not something's a success. So even in those huge organizations, if you don't have that analyst, um, you can't make the most out of what you can track. And, and that's just not a good thing. I don't know. I keep thinking of the saying, measure twice, cut once. <laughs> I love it. Well, I think of, you know, one time I was with my wife and we were driving home from vacation and, you know, we're, we've done this trip many times before. So we're just talking in the car. And we realize it feels like this trip has taken a lot longer than it should. And so we turn the GPS back on and it's giving us some weird directions. You know, it doesn't make sense. And that's when we thought about it and realized we took the wrong exit. We were going the wrong direction entirely. You know, we were going north instead of south. And so in that moment, the GPS was giving us accurate data, uh, but it wasn't giving us the complete picture because it didn't have the context of where we're really trying to get to and where we're at. Uh, and the data didn't make sense. But directionally, it told us we're going in the wrong direction. And I think that's how we need to look at data is to your point, it's not about having the perfect picture and crystal clarity, but it's about the right direction. Can we tell from this? Can we project from this? Can we estimate that this is the right direction or not? And there's enough data points out there that we have access to to determine is this working or is it not? You know, I, I liken it to the fact that marketers want to measure how much water is in the ocean and where it came from. Just look at the tide. Is it rising or is it falling? You know, that's often good enough to determine, you know, what should we do and how should we act? And I, I really like your point about the human element. We talk about technology and tools and measurements and all of these things. If you don't have the right person interpreting, it's like reading tea leaves, right? So you get a whole bunch of different indicators. And sometimes you need all of them to get a sense of the right direction and give it a little bit more context. But if you don't have that person with that skill, you're just, it's not going to work. It's so true. Yeah. One of my clients recently, they had a, an e-commerce site. This is a multi-million dollar e-commerce site and revenue is down significantly and they don't know what happened. And so they had a team of people, you know, 20 people. They built a hundred slide deck 
and to talk about all the things that changed and what happened and the market conditions and what they think is wrong. And no one could figure out, you know, what the problem is. And I looked at this and even I couldn't figure it out. And I spent, you know, some extra time and finally I found one change to one link that contributed significantly to how people use the site and how they interact and it caused a lot of issues. And I'm not saying that I found the one issue, there's probably many other issues, but it goes to show that even the best, smartest people in a group of people, you know, often can't find these things. It really takes just time and digging through the data and thinking all the scenarios through. And so it's really, really hard to analyze things because we make so many assumptions. And that's the problem with data is that we want data to tell us the truth and what to do about it. And those are two distinct things. And oftentimes we don't accept the truth when it's set before us. Because as you know, data can be manipulated and, and shifted and we can tell different stories based on that data. And so it's really hard to get the accurate real picture, even when you have the right data. Well, I think a lot of times they're just wanting to, we want our gut to be verified. And if it doesn't verify what we're thinking, then we don't trust it. So that's, that's tough. But I'm also thinking like the battle between art and science and the resistance in picking up data. I think, I think you hit on something really early on in that gut is a little bit arrogant, maybe. Uh, we trust our own instincts. We don't trust the data as much. And then I think there's, too, this, this underlying fear that if we rely too much on data, we're not going to be creative and try new things. Uh, what do you think? I think you're right. I think that it's foolish to think that creativity and data are uh, mutually exclusive. I think they're one and the same. And I think that we can still be creative in the context of data. I think it's important. And I think that if we're just focused on data and not creativity, then our marketing's gonna be bland and boring, you know, and we'll have the same thing over and over again. And this is what you see with these AI tools now, artificial intelligence tools that write copy for you. You know, it's fascinating, you know, with the GPT-3 and the algorithms they have to take in a bunch of information and they can, you know, write copy for you. And it's amazing. I think a lot of marketers thought, this solves all my content problems, right? I can just hit a button and it'll write the content for me. But what you start to look at when you do this often is you see that they're writing the same thing. You know, they're just regurgitating other copy rephrased. And I think that's the science approach. That's the pure data approach is let's just analyze this and rewrite it. And we have to remember that marketing is about people. Uh, we have to be human. You know, this is a problem a lot of B2B companies have. They can't be human. <laughs> they have to talk in buzzwords and terminology and things like that. So I think creativity and data go hand in hand, uh, but we have to look at the data from a human side. And we have to look at the creativity and remove our ego, as you said, to see what's really working, how are people responding to it? Because it's about people, not just us, but the customers we're actually trying to serve. Yeah, and I think people need to keep in mind that there's both quantitative and qualitative data. So if you're operating in a vacuum, let's say you've got a, a product that's for marketers, by marketers, and you're convinced that you know exactly what language is going to resonate, if you're not listening into those customer calls, listening to, I don't know, opportunity close interviews, you're missing out on a lot of context that could improve your marketing. I love that you said that because one of my favorite questions to ask someone I'm talking to or a new client is when is the last time you talk to your customers and you get you get the best responses to this question people say we talk to our customers all the time you know I think the last time we talked to them was the end of last year <laughs> or maybe it was a couple months ago <laughs> like that's recent you know uh, the one thing marketing does the one thing customers do is change you know every day they're changing there's competition there's new messages out there uh, new platforms are coming up you know TikTok wasn't all the rage you know just a little while ago things are constantly changing and so if you're not talking to your customers to your point on a daily basis on a weekly basis you're completely missing the boat here. 
Uh, one of the things I talk a lot about is customer proximity. You know, this is not a new idea, but whoever's closest to the customer wins. And it's about understanding truly your customer and following them as they change because they will change and being able to react and respond to that in a timely manner. And that requires both data and art, the creativity and the data, both sides of it in order to do that well. I think one of the things I see folks struggle with a lot is not understanding that setting a goal ahead of time and putting the mechanisms in place to measure things actually forces you to be more creative than if you just throw something out there. The reason I'm saying that is because traditionally, if you're going by gut and you're running a campaign, you come up with all the collateral, the assets, the creative ahead of time, put it out in the world, and then you wait. Because you have to wait until the end of the campaign to see if it has a, a, an impact either way. Nowadays, we have early indicators that can tell us that we need to make an adjustment really early on. What are some of those early indicators that you've used yourself to judge whether or not a campaign should keep moving forward or maybe be adjusted? Well, I love what you said there because it's so true. You know, I, I learned at a young age that if I ask you to give me some improvements to the car, and you might struggle for a while to think of what you could improve. But if I said, name three things you can improve about the steering wheel, I mean, you probably already thought of one you know, just in hearing that. And so I think you're right that uh, in narrowing the scope allows us to be more creative because it allows us to you know, ex uh, explore more than being paralyzed by the number of options. But in terms of you know, the best way to test this, the best way to get started, you know, in usability, there's what's called the hallway test. And you can apply this and scale it, and it scales really well. And basically what this means is whatever you're working on, if you're writing an email or a report, creating a design, whatever you're doing, take it before you're finished and go down the hallway, you know, metaphorically or actually, and ask someone, what do you think of this? And they don't have to know anything about what you're doing, but just see their response, see their feedback. And so we do a ton of usability studies, and this is exactly what we do. We create a campaign, and we have maybe some of the original assets for the campaign, some of the draft messaging, and we just put it in front of people, random people. They don't have to be our ideal customers even. And there's tools to do this, platforms to do this, and see what they think. And we ask them, you know, pointed questions about it. What would you change here? What's unclear? You know, how does this resonate? Imagine you were this type of person. But then you get some really great feedback and you get unbounded feedback. Uh, and that feedback, again, people are people and marketing is about people. So they don't even have to be in your target, you know, demographic or know about your industry. Just get some feedback. Does this resonate on a human level? Does this make sense? Is this the right language to use? Is it clear? Because so much of marketing is about the message and about clarity. And design, you know, is universal, uh, aesthetics, you know, creativity, uh, creative rather. So just do a hallway test, put this in front of people, ask for their feedback, whether that's colleagues or peers, whether it's people outside of your industry, whether it's actual customers, even better, uh, but just ask, you'll be surprised the feedback and the insights you get. Yeah. And I'm thinking each functional group has several metrics that they can use along the way once they launch as well, because I love the idea of a hallway test, but if you don't have maybe the time or resources, well, it sounds like you should make time and resources to do that. But if you're just launching something out there, it's a short test. There's things you can watch like click-through rates or uh, with emails, it's open rates to test your subject line, click-through rates to test the actual body of the email. These metrics mean different things. And I think marketers need to get a bit more fluent in which metrics they need to watch for what they're putting out in the market. I also, it confuses me. I go to B2B companies, different companies, and they use consistent sales metrics to gauge whether or not the sales team is doing what they're supposed to do. 
marketers always have a different deck and they start with different metrics and they display a lot of different data. Do you think that there's a world in the future, and I'm hoping you say yes, just total transparency here. Do you think there's a world where we could come up with a North Star and maybe four or five supporting metrics and roll that out across B2B organizations? I hope so. Yes. I mean, I, I'm typically a pessimist, but I think I want to be optimistic about this. That <laughs> I think the conversation that's happening right now is leading us in that direction. And I hope that we can come to consensus on what really works. You know, you see, like you mentioned click-through rates. I think we're losing open rates on email, you know, thanks to Apple and other privacy updates. But I think click-through rates are really important. But it's interesting because you can see and understand the argument made by the creative side of this, which is I post on LinkedIn fairly often, and I post videos on LinkedIn, and I don't get that much engagement. But then I'll talk to a prospect or a client, and they'll say, hey, I loved your video, and I, I noticed this thing. I'll make a comment about an article I posted, and I had no idea they saw it or read it. So we need both, and I think that the metrics hopefully that we agree upon uh, include some from both sides in terms of you know, perhaps things like click-through rate to show engagement, but also just uh, internal metrics. You know, are we consistently putting things out there? Are we being more innovative in our approach to the content we're creating and the messaging we put out there? Are we testing new things and have time and resources to test? So I think there's some internal metrics as well, and not just the engagement metrics that we need to measure in order to have the biggest impact and the highest chance of success. Yeah, so I think something I say all the time is if marketers don't start with where the company is at in terms of bookings and revenue, they're going to come across sounding really tone deaf. So keeping in mind how everything is impacting everything else, it's, it's an art form, but if you can find an analyst to explain the nuances in marketing data and why directionally accurate has to be good enough from time to time, I think that's going to get you a long way in getting respect from the rest of the organization in terms of data. What are some tips and tricks you've seen work? Yeah, well, I'll tell you a story that I think underscores uh, the thesis of this whole discussion argument. And it's a story about a dog my mom had named Buddy. Uh, and Buddy was an older dog, and he had a lot of health problems. And so he was on medication, he had multiple surgeries. And my mom shopped on Chewy.com, which is an online pet retailer. And so she would buy special dog food for Buddy. Well, unfortunately, you know, Buddy passed away and my mom had just bought a new bag of this you know, massive bag of dog food from Chewy. So she emailed them and said, you know, my dog passed away. I don't need this anymore. Can I return it? And they emailed her back and their response was pretty shocking. You know, they said, don't send it back. We don't want it. Just donate it to a local pet shelter, you know, and we'll give you your money back. You know, no problem. Really sweet gesture. Really nice thing to do. But the story doesn't end there. About a week later, my mom gets a ring on the doorbell and finds flowers from 1-800-Flowers from Chewy with a handwritten note that says, we're sorry to hear about Buddy, you know, hope you're doing okay. That's the type of thing that you can't really measure. You know, and this is not a one-off thing. Uh, this is how Chewy operates. It's their culture. It's what they believe. It's how they treat customers. And this goes back to, you know, marketing is about people. It's about being human. And although you can't measure that, I'm sure they have some way to measure that I've written about that. I've talked about it. I'm here again sharing about it. I'm a Chewy customer for life. I love Chewy. So those are the types of things we need to think about, that it's both creativity and it's data. It's art and it's science. And when we can put the customer first and treat them like a human, you know, we'll be successful no matter the balance there. Oh, yeah. Chewy is so great. Just going back to them for half a second, I'll plug them too. I, I got a hand-painted portrait of one of my dogs, and then uh, one of my dogs has severe allergies, was reacting to a food, and they're like, full refund, no questions asked, sorry it didn't work out. I mean, they're just amazing. So if more amazing. B2B companies could... <laughs> 
I have that mentality. Yes. I think uh, you'd have a lot of super fans out there talking about your brand on Love a podcast. <laughs> well, are there any other elements you'd like to cover and make sure get out there? I think there's one really important element here, which is the, the conversation right now is a lot about attribution. How do we attribute this? How do we measure it? How do we connect all the dots? And I think there's a component that we're completely missing, which is optimization. That attribution assumes or presumes perhaps that the channels you're using are already performing the best they can. And that the only decision to make is should we spend more resources or less resources on certain channels or activities? But I think that we can't make the assumption that we haven't invested enough time and resources in optimizing the activities and the channels we're already pursuing. And this is a huge gap I see in the marketing teams I work with, that there's no process for optimization. There's no time to optimize. But before you worry about attribution, think about optimization. How can you do what you're doing even better? And that does require both art and science to optimize, but it's a lot simpler because there's these, you know, human element uh, to optimize something to get more juice out of it than it is to figure out this complex, ever-changing narrative of attribution. Yeah, it, it's interesting. So um, I use attribution, multi-touch attribution really heavily in what I do. And I think I see a lot of hesitation to get down to the level you need to in order to understand what's working most effectively. So if we were to look only at a campaign type tactic level, like you said, you're not getting enough in the weeds to understand whether or not each campaign within that bucket is, is optimized. There's something to be said for the demand generation waterfall too, and using multiple metrics along the way to gauge whether or not things are efficient. So the demand generation waterfall, I really think it shines in terms of cross-functional handoffs. So for example, if you're looking at the conversion rates for each step, it can be useful if you're looking by type to see which types convert the best and then figure out optimization along there. But really where it shines is understanding whether or not there's misalignment between the teams and what they're handing off. Does the inside sales team agree with the definition of an MQL? Does the field sales team agree with the definition of a qualified meeting? These are simple things that people sometimes forget to dig into and figure out if there's a system issue, a process issue, a definition issue standing in the way of getting full alignment across your teams. But going back to the attribution piece, if you can get down to the individual campaign level and watch which campaigns are performing the best, you have the best hope of replicating something successfully and improving your conversion rates. Are there other tactics that you've seen worked really well, or would you like to pile in on the uh, demand generation waterfall of? <laughs> oh, well, you give me PTSD here over, you know, definitions and agreement alignment of, you know, things like NQLs and other definitions. I mean, I think to your point, there's a lot of assumptions there that we've already figured this out. We already agree on it. We all have the same definition. We have the same perspective. False. Um, and and I can't encourage false. Yeah, exactly. it's always false. I I can't encourage enough to get the teams together and talk about this and get them all in a room, you know, either virtually or physically, um, because you'll be shocked at the level of disagreement and misalignment that exists. And that's a that's a drifting boat as well, you know, that you don't just align things and then you're set. You have to keep realigning and making sure on the same page. But I think that's to your point, one of the biggest challenges for sure. Uh, but I think even you know, looking into the weeds tactically from an optimization standpoint, as I mentioned, there's there's so much low-hanging fruit that even before you try to worry about, you know, big picture, what's working, how's it working, looking at what you're doing, you know, I've seen so many organizations struggle with 
setting up a landing page and just how it looks and not testing on mobile and, and basic things like that. But if you're missing the boat there, it doesn't matter, you know, the pieces and how they're connected because once someone gets to this piece, they're going to completely fall off, you know, because it's not even visible on mobile or has massive issues. So making sure that, you know, you can do the blocking and tackling first is really important before you try to get more advanced than you're capable of. And also going back to your point about vendors, before you buy into the, I don't want to say lie, but the dream that the vendors set up for you and sell you on, that there's some magic behind the scenes and that the AI and algorithms can save you and tell you exactly what's working, what's not, and what to do about it, because it's a very difficult hill to climb. Yeah. If your vendor is not honest about the legwork you're going to have to do with all the underlying data before you can get something meaningful out of it, run away. I think... That's one of the things we really try to emphasize here at Caliber Mind is garbage in, garbage out. And if you think you're just going to plug something in and get these magical insights that come out on the other side without doing the hard work of making sure you're using all of those industry best practices, you've got UTMs in place, you understand how data is being entered and flowing through your system. If you don't understand all of those pieces, you're in a world of hurt. Yes. A thousand percent. <laughs> well, Tim, sorry about the PTSD and thinking back to the MQL Warrior days. I'm sure it's a fight we'll both have once again down the road soon. It's really great connecting. Where can people find you online to network? Thank you so much, Kayla. It's been a wonderful conversation. Yes, I'm active on LinkedIn. You can find me there, Tim Parkin. That's Parking without the G. And you can also find me on my website, timparkin.com. Wonderful. And for those of you listening to the podcast, if you enjoy it, rate, review, and subscribe. 